disciples. Um, Nick talked about the VBS that we're going to have. Uh, when my sister was seven or eight years old, I guess seven years old, a boy from down the road invited her to come to a VBS. And that was the first exposure that our family ever got to add to the gospel. Um, and we came to Christ over the months that followed. Uh, that simple invitation, come to VBS. Because somebody, a, a kid in the community, asked another kid in the community to come to a VBS at the local church. So being discipled and being a disciple involves sharing the message, sharing, inviting people, talking to other people. And so today we're talking about this aspect, uh, this, this little phrase that Christ uses with these, these potential disciples. Come and see. Come and see. There are some things in life that we... I just realized I'm not recording. You're okay. <laughs> you got it? There are some things in life that you just have to see. You know, some, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll see a sunset or uh, you'll see a rainbow and it's Come, come here! You gotta see this! You gotta see this! Come, come. Why, why do we have to do this? Because we know that if we went back in and tried to describe, you know, how brilliant the rainbow was, the other person's gonna be like, yeah, okay, sounds like you know, they aren't really gonna be as excited about it. That just hearing about it isn't the same as seeing it. And some things just, you can't really Describe it unless you saw it. When the boys were little, little, um, like three or four, uh, they were playing in the basement, and Warren came running upstairs, and he was, Mom, come here, come here. And she's like, what? And he said, but, but, Rowan, he's stuck. And she's like, what? How long, what? That doesn't make any sense. How is Rowan stuck? Now, I'm sure all of your you moms, when your child comes to you and you're in the middle of something, just immediately lay it down and, you know, just, oh, this will be fun. We'll go see what you want to see. In this case, Connie was fairly resistant and just didn't, you know, immediately drop what she was doing. She's like, what, are you, what, what is it? Tell me what's going on. He's like, I, I, just come, just, just come down and see it. So finally she's like, okay, okay, I'll come down. And she goes down the stairs, and we had a big chest freezer that was about six or eight inches out the wall. And when she opened the door to the basement, she just sees Rowan's feet sticking up from behind the freezer. And they had been playing with a ball, and it had gone behind the freezer, and they had pulled a chair over, climbed up on the chair, gotten on top of the freezer, reached down, and as he reached for the ball, he just went all the way down in, and Warren couldn't pull it back up. So it was just, you got to see it. you got to come here and see this, because I, I can't tell you how this happened. I can't explain it. That's what's going on here with Christ. He's saying, come and see. The first thing we see here um, in verse 29 
John has been speaking of Christ. He's been talking about Christ. And now Christ comes on the scene. The next day, John sees Jesus coming to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Behold. Now this is a word we don't use anymore. In the, in the 1500s and the 1600s, uh, behold was just a common word uh, that, that everybody used. And it means, it means, look, look at that. Look. We're going to have a bunch of tourists here in a few months. And the reason why you can't drive down Route 1 during tourist season is because they're all, look, a giant inflatable lobster. Let's, let's pull in there. You know, it's just, they, they're, behold, they're looking around. And, and so we have to take, you know, Route 52 or cut through Gardner to 95 or just make our way because, we, because everybody's stopping and slowing down and looking. It's vacation land, and there's lots of beautiful things to look at. John is saying, look, it's, it's the Lamb of God. Now, in the Jewish context, anyone who heard that, the Lamb of God, they would know that he was talking about the sacrificial system, the sacrifice, the, the, the sacrificial Lamb of God is who he's referring to. That there's a sacrifice that's going to be made. And that in the Jewish context, if you, at, at, at the Passover, at the initial Passover, if you did not have blood over the door, death would come to your family that night. A sacrifice, a blood sacrifice had to be made. And so Jesus is just coming on the scene. And this is his introduction. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The initial introduction to who Jesus is, is presenting him as a sacrifice for the world's sin. Christ's work Christ's ministry, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection has to do with our sin. Warren Wearsby went home to be with his Savior this week. Uh, a, a, someone sent me a quote of his, and, and it, it said that if, if the unbeliever doesn't recognize that he's a sinner then he's not going to recognize the good news of the gospel. Why? Because Christ, the person and work of Christ, is directly connected to man's sin. That's how John introduces him. That's how he's brought onto the scene. They didn't come call, he didn't come to call the righteous. He came to say, to, 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 Bring sinners to repentance. That's who we came for. For sinners. So this is about the, the, the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's how he's introduced. And John is, is calling this out. He's preaching this, and people are hearing this message and saying, okay, what does that even mean? A person is a sacrificial Lamb? A man? 
They don't know who this, this man is. John had said he didn't know. But now, behold, look! Here he comes! The sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now we're going to jump ahead to verse 35. Again the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. He says the very same thing. Jesus comes walking by and he says, Look, it's the sacrificial Lamb of God. And there were two of John's disciples standing there. Verse 37, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So now, they, John's ministry was one of pointing to Christ, not to himself, but to another, to who was coming. He's pointing to Christ. He's calling out this message, he's proclaiming this message, but he's saying, it's not about me, it's about another. I am not the Messiah. It's Jesus. That's the Messiah. So the, those disciples that were following John are now turning and are interested in Christ. Now when it says, and they followed Jesus, there's two Greek terms for, for this word follow. This is not, when Jesus called, says to the disciples, follow me, that means do as I say. This means follow the leader, that kind of follow. Here, when they follow him, it's just they went along with him. It's just the little seedlings, just the little sprouts of interest that they they accompany Jesus. They weren't ready to just to you know do what he says. They're they're just in his company. So now and the two disciples, they follow Jesus, and in verse 38, they, then Jesus turned and saw them following, and says to them, what seek you? As Jamie and I were talking about this message and working on it, uh, when Jesus turns, he sees them. And when you start thinking about Christ's ministry, and he, he sees the thousands, and he has compassion on them. Look, the fields are white unto harvest. That's how he sees other people. So often, we don't see other people. We're so caught up in our own stuff that we don't see that these are, these are souls going into eternity that I'm interacting with. This is a person who has needs. But so many times, we're caught up in our own needs. We're caught up with what we want. We see a, 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 an openness here with Christ. And he says, what, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? You see how he's not, he's not telling them what I'm looking for. He's saying, no, what, what are you looking for? You know, we're, we're, we say that I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
But somehow, in our lives, we often act like we haven't been found. Like we're still grasping. We're still striving. We're still so so busy, so working so hard to, to get what we can. That we, we can't be open-handed. We can't care about other people's needs and other people's, what they are looking for. We had a meal with the uh, Finnemores Tuesday night, and such a it was just such a gracious time, just a beautiful time. And they are so at peace and at rest. Talking to them as a couple is just it's so encouraging because they're just you know do they have some wants? Sure, but they're so open-handed about them. They're just they're just like, but if it, if we get it, we get it. And some of these things are not simple things. Some of these things are, are health issues, are serious issues. But when you talk to them about it, there's not this anxiousness about it, this fear about it. It's, it's just, they, they're at rest. They're at peace. Is that what the world sees when they see us? Or do they just see another person just trying to scramble just like they are? Make no mistake, though, I think a, a, a lie, when we, when we try to read out to the world, a lie that we're told is that, yeah, sure, I have needs in my life, but look at this person. You look at their car, you look at their job, you look at their stuff, and wow, they don't, they don't have the needs that I have. They aren't, they aren't having to scramble. They aren't, and I know for me, I think, well, they aren't, they probably aren't wanting the gospel. They probably aren't wanting what I have to offer them. Look, they, everything's going well for them. This week I read an article about a man who's making $1.2 million a year, hates, hates his life, hates his job, considered taking a job for $600,000 a year, and his wife openly laughed at him for even considering it. Because how could that even, how, how would that even you see, we're all chasing something. The world is wanting something. And Christ is saying, what do you seek? What are you looking for? Do we care enough about somebody else to say, hey, what is it you're wanting from this? From this relationship or from this job or from this new thing that you seem so caught up in? What are you, what are you actually wanting? What do you expect to get out of that? And so these guys are following Christ, and, they, and he's, he's interacting with them, and he's saying, okay, hey, I see you there. I see you're coming along with me. What are you looking for? And they answer very oddly. <laughs> they answer, where are you staying? Where are you living? Where do you dwell? <clears throat> Wasn't really the question he asked. The in in uh, Greek in the Greek culture, what this would mean is, can we go someplace to talk? This isn't the proper place to have this conversation to answer that question. I have some deep things that I need to talk that we're seeking, that we're wanting, and the answer to that question is not 
something we want to do out here, we want to sit down with you and go someplace private. So we would, in our, our terminology, we would say, can we go someplace to talk? Can we uh, go somewhere private? Where are you staying? And Jesus says to them, come and see. Come and see. He's, he's inviting them. He's saying, come in. He's saying, well, come. Well, meaning good. Come, meaning invitation. Uh, you're, it's good that you have come. When we welcome someone in, we're saying it's good to have you here. We, we want you to come, come in. We have a, a, a ministry here um, of, say, families. That's a, that's a welcoming in to our home. They're coming in. This is a, a key element to, to Christ's ministry. That yes, he came to us here on earth. He came in the flesh and he, he, dwelled, he dwells with us. He lived with man. But he didn't say, okay, I'm going to come, but you guys sit there and I will stand here. No. He invites people to draw close. He invites people into his life. He invites people uh, into his home. He says, come and don't just listen to me. Come and see. It's not just come and hear. It's come and, and see. John is writing this in the book of 1 John. He says, oh, we, we touched him. We handled him. We knew him. We saw him with our own eyes. We saw him. And Jesus is inviting him in. There's an openness there. I think I've used this example here before. In, in, when we lived in Michigan, our neighbors were Muslim. And when I first met them, the very, very first time I met them, the husband just opened up to me, just wide open, and told me about terrible financial distress that they had been under, and how they'd lost everything, they'd lost their home, and finally had just gotten back on their feet enough to buy a, a $30,000 condo unit. And this was within like 20 minutes of meeting the guy. But I knew he was Muslim. And so I really kept my distance from him. I hardly spoke to him. I, you know, nod and hi, but never invited them over. Never had much of another conversation with them for years. And my fear was, and I, I you know, really had to think about what was that all about? Why did I act that way? Why was I doing that? My fear was that, well, I treat him like a friend then he's just going to think that he's okay, that being a, a Muslim is fine, and, and that I think he, he's fine, and he thinks I'm fine, and we're all just fine. What does that say about me and my life with Christ? That somebody coming closer and knowing me better 
is somehow not going to be confronted with my faith? How little does that say about how, what Christ is actively doing in my life that somebody who got closer to our family wouldn't recognize that Christ was there? So we were talking with our church on Sunday nights about discipleship and about making disciples and these very, very same concepts and our 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 pastor was praying with me and we were discussing these passages, uh, different passages, but uh, this concept. And he said, who is, you know, who is God laying on your heart? And I said, well, my neighbor. But I hardly have any relationship with him because he's Muslim. And, you know, he, he I, I just don't want him to think that that's okay. And the pastor said to me, Birch, how did Christ treat you before you believed? And I said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he treated me. He sacrificed himself for me. He gave to me. He gave of himself to me. And as we began to talk and pray, I I just, I said to him, this doesn't make any sense. Am I, why, why have I been acting like this at all? I mean, am I trying to say to my neighbor, you know, um, is, am I wanting him to think, boy, whatever it is that keeps Birch really distant from me, I want that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really hopeful that I can have whatever it is that, that makes it so he hardly talks to me. That'd be great. What was I thinking? But Christ is saying that come and see, come in, inviting them in, actually means that you're going to have closer communion with Christ. And what we see evidence throughout the Gospels is that as people get closer and closer to the, the proximity of Christ and they come and they see, they are not, they don't understand and think that, oh, I'm fine as I am. They're actually confronted with what am I going to do with Christ? As people draw in over and over again, it's what are we going to do with Christ? And the, and the Pharisees are like, what are we going to do? With Christ. They're confronted with that. The closer they get to them, the more they see him. we got to do something. But others, what am I going to do with Christ? Even Pilate, he just gets to know, what do I do? What do I do with Christ? You see, as people are invited in and they're confronted with the person of Jesus Christ, as you are living that out, as you are living out your faith, as Christ is shown in you, they've got to do something with Christ. It draws your, your influence as a believer, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and as the work of the Holy Spirit is, is taking place in their life, there's a confrontation that takes place. They have to decide 
What are we going to do? So he invites them in, and they came, and they saw where he dwelled and abode with him that day. And so they stay with him that night, because it's 4 p.m. And so he just invites them in. Stay the night. So one of the two, most likely, this is uh, the, the gospel writer himself was one of these two. The other one was Andrew. John doesn't like to identify himself in the gospel. So uh, the fact that he gives the names of all the other disciples in this section, but he doesn't give the second uh, disciple here, it's probably John himself, uh, the young man. One of the two which heard John speak, followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he finds, he comes and sees, Andrew comes and sees Christ, and he says, whoa, I've got to go tell somebody else. I've got to go tell Peter. He goes and runs and tells his brother, or not runs, but he goes and tells his brother. He finds his own brother, Simon, and says to him, we have found the Messiah. We found him. The answer, the, 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 the one, the promised one that we've been looking for, we found him. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, once again, Jesus sees him for who he is, sees him as a person. You are, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find Philip and says, Follow me, come along with me, join me, walk with me. Philip sees, comes and sees who Jesus is. And Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now, Nathanael is somewhat skeptical here. I mean, Nazareth, it's like, you know, He's a redneck. How could this be? You're saying that the Messiah came from Nazareth? We, we happened to be, uh, when we were in Columbia, one of the men from uh, Nicaragua, or no, Guatemala, uh, one of the men from Guatemala was really trying to explain a you-might-be-a-redneck joke to the couple from Venezuela. And it was the most awkward conversation you have ever seen. It just made no sense, because they he's now trying to explain you know, rural southern culture to these Venezuelans. And then when he finally got around to the joke of, you know, if you have a home that has wheels and five cars that don't, um, you might be a redneck. Um, and so he, he, he desperately wanted to tell this joke and tried to work all the way through this, and, and it fell completely flat. Um, humor rarely translates. Uh, Nathaniel is not being humorous here. He is just like, really? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him, what? Come and see Come and see Jesus. Come and see him. 
I can't explain it to you. I can't, I, I just, I, I'll, I'll try to, but you just, you, you gotta see him. You just have to see him. You have to experience him. Stay with him. Know him. And so, Philip is doing the same thing that Christ did with him. He's following Christ's pattern of discipleship, and he's repeating it with somebody else. And Nathaniel comes, and what is his response when he comes and sees who Jesus is? He experiences Jesus for just a moment. Jesus says, yeah, I saw you when you were under the tree. And Nathaniel says, you're the son of God. Christ says, wow, you think that's impressive? Wait till you're going to what happens next. I mean, this is going to get really good. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's, that's who he's pointing him to. That's who we are, are calling people to come and see. But that means inviting them in. This is exactly what... what uh, Charlie and Becky are doing with Community Circle, where they're inviting people in. Come and see. And our hope is that they will see that the, the people here, the community here, the church here, is like Christ. And they will have a, an experience of seeing Christ at work. Years ago, um, I remember telling the boys, they were they were bickering. They were just at each other, just kind of snapping at each other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I stopped them, and I said, look, you know, that stuff it happens all the time out there. In this home, in this home, that, that doesn't go on here. There's plenty of that kind of, of talk and behavior and, and rivalry out there. We don't need more of it in here. And that difference is Christ. The difference that, that has been made for us is that Christ rules, that we have a, a, a rest and peace in Him, and we've seen Him, and now we're trying to model Him, live like Him, be like Him. Be like Christ. And we hope others that come into our home, come into our family, come into our body, that they see that. They see that peace. Who are we wanting them to see? We want them to see the Son of God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1 here. Who are we wanting them to see? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The Word here is talking about Christ. The Greek term is, is logos. What does we really do not have a word in English? that can encompass the meaning of logos. I read one commentator said, uh, 
The English word word is the least inadequate, but all of them are inadequate. So this is a good translation. But when the Greek philosophers were talking about trying to find the meaning of life, why we're here, the purpose behind it all, they would use this term, logos. So imagine this, in the beginning was the meaning of life. In the be- and the meaning of life was with God, and the meaning of life was God. It's the, it's the logic, it's the reason. The, the reason, and so John is saying, I'll answer your question. I'll answer what you Greek philosophers have been struggling with for, for hundreds of years. I've got it. I've figured out what the logos is, what the logic behind it all, what the reason for our own purpose, why we're here on earth, uh, on earth, why, what, why the, the human condition is what it is, why we are made to worship something. Why is it? Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The, the, what he's saying here, it's Jesus. That's why. This, this solves this question. It answers it for us. It's Jesus. And then, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is is drawing directly from Genesis 1 in this section. And he's saying, okay, life did not come from matter. Life pre-existed anything else. You see, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. There was a living word, life, before anything. He already was, even before the beginning of time. He, he pre-existed. And so all things were made by him. Life pre-exists stuff and material. Material doesn't produce life. Life produces the material. And what did he make? He made light. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Genesis 1. He spoke, let there be light. The particles of light appear. Life creates light. And so Christ comes to earth as a living man. We serve a living God who brought life. And that life shine light onto the darkness of our sin and that life brought life to the death of our spiritual condition. Because we just celebrated the resurrection. What did Christ show? He showed that his life was more powerful than death itself. And he demonstrates that. And so from his resurrection, he's saying that the light 
shines into the darkness, and the darkness can't envelop it. It can't grasp it. It can't hold on to it. That the light pushes back the darkness of our sin. It pushes back the, the dead condition that we are in spiritually. That Christ's life is what shines light onto the hearts and souls of men. So calling you to come and see him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the beginning of our faith, the end of our faith. This is it. This is him. Taste and see. The Lord is good. Come and see Jesus. And I guarantee he will not disappoint. That he will satisfy your thirst and your hunger. And now we can then turn around and invite people in to our homes, to our lives, to taste and see, to come and see Jesus. This Jesus and what he's done. Let's close in prayer as um, the musicians come. Oh, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life, his sacrifice, his example. Thank you that we, of all people, can share his name, his his authority, his work with, with others. I pray that this would be a privilege, that we would be open, that we would invite people in to see Jesus. In his precious name we pray. Amen.